So, talk about the providence of God, because I did not plan it this way, but our subject this morning is prayer. So, I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, and we will be looking this morning at verse 18. If you're visiting with us this morning, I have been preaching through the book of Ephesians. We are in the last chapter. We have been taking our time, actually going fairly methodically and slowly through that part of chapter 6 on the armor of God, looking at each and every part of the armor of God and talking a lot about the intensity and reality of spiritual warfare. And so we do come this morning to verse 18, Ephesians 6:18, and it says this, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Well, our first point this morning is the final piece. This morning we come to the last piece of the armor of God, prayer. And I think we all know, I think it goes without saying, and yet we say it anyway. Victory over Satan and his demonic forces, victory in spiritual warfare involves a tremendous, a tremendous commitment to prayer. Throughout the battle, whether it is during the heat of battle or whether we are in a lull, we we are to engage in prayer. It has been said by numerous authors many times, but prayer must become the very air that we breathe as Christians. Now, I want to be honest with you this morning about this particular verse. There has been some discussion among Bible teachers as to whether or not verse 18 is part of the armor of God. Some see verse 18 as directly connected to the previous verses, while others see it as the beginning of another thought, another grammatical section. Now, particular version, English version of the Bible that I am preaching from this morning, the English Standard Version, the ESV, definitely sees it as part of the armor of God because Grammatically, it is a continuation, verse 18, of the sentence that began in verse 16. So it sees it as part of the ongoing thought. And I will say to you this morning in my own study of the book of Ephesians and the armor of God, I definitely think that prayer is part of the armor of God. However, prayer is not just another part of the armor. And I want you to think about this with me this morning. Prayer is not just another part of the armor. Prayer is to permeate every piece of the armor that we have already talked about. So it's not like we got this piece, this piece, this piece, and prayer is another piece. No, prayer is to permeate every piece of the armor. We are to put on the belt of truth with prayer. We are to put on the breastplate of righteousness with prayer. We are to put on the shoes of readiness given by the gospel of peace with prayer. We are to take up the shield of faith with prayer. We are to take the helmet of salvation with prayer. And we are to take the sword of the spirit with prayer. Perhaps the best thing I've read on this, actually, 
I found years ago in an old hymn of the faith. And that's Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus, written by George Duffield. And in the third verse of that great old hymn, it says this, Stand up, stand up for Jesus, stand in his strength alone. The arm of flesh will fail you, ye dare not trust your own. Put on the gospel armor, each piece put on with prayer. Where duty calls or danger be never wanting there. That's it. That's what I think verse 18 is teaching us. Put on the gospel armor, each piece put on with prayer. Well, our second point this morning is prayer is like a radio operator. This is very similar to an analogy that pastor and author John Piper has used for years. If you're familiar with his, mem- his ministry at all, you will know that he has often, many times, compared prayer to being a wartime walkie-talkie, where we are constantly in touch with our commanding officer. So I want you to use your imaginations with me this morning, and I want you to imagine this morning that you are part of the United States Army or Marines. And that's not to discount the other branches of the Army. Don't get mad at me. It's just I needed branches that primarily do battle on the terrain and difficult terrain. And your unit has been called to battle against a very deceptive enemy. And you've been asked to fight this battle on unknown, very rugged terrain. It's filled with trees and hills and all kinds of heavy brush. Lots of hiding places for the enemy. And in the middle of the battle, it will not take you long to realize that one of the most valuable soldiers in your unit is the radio operator. Especially, especially in these days of sophisticated modern technology where they are able to actually focus on the particular area of the battle. And during a military campaign, clear and strategic communication up and down the chain of command is essential to victory. It is vital that you stay in touch with your commander back at headquarters. Your commander is an experienced veteran of war and he will help you to stay calm and to carry out the strategy in the heat of the battle. He can give you reports of where the enemy is at. He can instruct you when to be on the move and when to stay put. And he will be able to see things you don't see and he will be able to know things that you don't know. Because you're enamored in the battle and all that you can see is what's happening right around you. You can't see the big picture. You can't see the larger picture. And when you lose touch with your commander, you can feel overwhelmed. You can feel isolated. You can feel like you are all alone. And you can feel like you want to retreat or give up. In spiritual warfare, In spiritual warfare, prayer is the way we receive constant guidance from our commander as we engage the enemy. And of course, our commander is the Lord Jesus Christ. He knows things about our situation that we don't know. He sees things about our situation that we don't see and can't see in our flesh. I think one of the scarier verses 
in the New Testament is the end of James chapter 4 and verse 2 where it says you have not because you ask not. You have not because you ask not. And that brings us to our third point and that is desperate need for prayer. I believe the key to understanding verse 18 is the word desperation. And if you remember nothing else this morning, I want you to remember that one word, that the key to prayer is desperation. You need to see your own desperation. We will not pray, folks. We will not pray unless we see our desperate need for God and our desperate need to constantly, daily put on the armor of God. The more you open your eyes to the reality of spiritual warfare, the more you will see your desperate need for prayer. Let me say that again. The more you open your eyes to the reality of spiritual warfare, and it is very real, the more you will see your desperate need for prayer. I want to make a statement to you that isn't new with me. So I didn't make this up. Others have said this, but it is very true. It is possible for a Christian to become a practical atheist, one who has full belief in God but doesn't live like he needs him. It is possible for any of us to be a practical atheist. Oh, we would never say that we were intellectual atheists. But we say we believe in God. We say that prayer is important. But rarely do we pray. We can often go through entire days having not prayed at all. And this happens very subtly when a Christian thinks that he is so adequate in his knowledge that he loses his sense of dependence on God. And almost without knowing it, he begins to tune God out. And he loses that passionate, deep, earnest prayer that cries out to God from our hearts. And he loses that. And he, his Christian life becomes, tends to become a life of head knowledge and facts. There is a very real danger, and I want you to stay with me here this morning. There is a very real danger for Christians who have a good knowledge of doctrine a history of success, and a fairly good grasp on Christian principles. And they they can become self-satisfied and lose their desire for that heart-rending, passionate, constant prayer life. Interesting, I was reading through John MacArthur's material. He has a, a whole booklet on the armor of God, a whole series that he's done. He spends a lot of time on this. He said some of the people that he worries about the most in his church are those who have a good grasp of the Bible. They know Christian doctrine. They've memorized Bible verses. They love to debate about theology. But they've lost that desperate need for God that need that cries out to him, that begs him, that says, Lord, I can't even go a minute of any day without you. They lose that. And maybe some of us fall into that category this morning. 
Man, I praise God for your knowledge, but don't let that knowledge keep you from God. As ironic as that sounds, we can become so self-sufficient in our Bible knowledge and doctrine that we lose that childlike, fervent, passionate, heart-rendering need for him that cries out, that's not ashamed to get on your knees or be on your face before him. Please hear me clearly this morning. The whole armor of God is dependent on prayer. The whole armor of God is dependent on prayer. The soul of a man or woman must sense their desperate need for God if they are to be victorious in our battle against Satan and his host of demonic forces. Well, let's look more closely at this specific verse. Our fourth point is pray in the Spirit. In verse 18, it says, praying at all times in the Spirit. What does it mean to pray in the Spirit? And this particular phrase, praying in the Spirit, has often been misunderstood. What it doesn't mean is that somehow I whip myself up into some euphoric emotional state. I'm almost like otherworldly. That's not what it means to pray in the Spirit. Actually, it's fairly simple, but it's something that we must constantly be conscious of. I want to offer three thoughts on what it means to pray in the Spirit. First of all, Praying in the Spirit is seeking to live your life constantly yielded to the Holy Spirit and filled with the Holy Spirit. You recognize, maybe even talk to yourself, I have the Holy Spirit living in me. He has sealed me for the day of redemption. He is alive and real within me. I won't go over a lot of what it means to be filled with the Spirit because I spent Quite a bit of time on that in Ephesians chapter 5. We talked about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But let me simply say this morning, you are constantly yielding, surrendering, submitting to the guiding influence of the Holy Spirit in your life. And let me tell you this morning that nothing will kill prayer like disobedience. Nothing will kill prayer like disobedience. If you are filled with lust or anger or bitterness or unforgiveness or worry or fear, you are not going to be praying in the Spirit. You are not. This is yielding to the Holy Spirit who wants, who is God leading and guiding you every moment of every day and you are submitting to that, being cognizant of, cognizant of that, conscious of that. Second, second, praying in the Spirit means to make sure that all of our prayers are for the honor of Christ and for the advancement of His kingdom. Every prayer I pray, I want my prayer to be for the honor of Christ in whatever I'm praying about and for the advancement of His kingdom. Folks, this is what it means when we say in Jesus' name. When I pray or you pray and you end your prayer in Jesus' name, I want you to know that is not some mindless rote tack on that we use as Protestant Christians. Okay? 
We don't just say in Jesus' name and say it casually. Every time you say in Jesus' name, you are saying or you should be saying, I want my prayer to be for the honor and glory and exaltation of Christ and for the advancement of his kingdom. You are praying this when you pray in the Lord's prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When you pray that, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it always is in heaven, you are praying in the Spirit. Third, to go along with this, to pray in the Spirit means to make sure that all of my prayers are in agreement with the Word of agreement with the Word of God. And I have said this a number of times in this series. You cannot separate the Bible and prayer. Okay? You can't. I said this just a few weeks ago. Bible first, then prayer. Why? Because without the Bible, we don't know what prayer is. Without the Bible, we don't know how to pray. But we want all of our prayers to be in complete harmony and to line up with the Word of God. Think of what we looked at last week. Think of the sword of the Spirit. Remember that last week? The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. We use specific teachings, specific rhemas from the Word of God to do battle with the enemy. We take up the sword of the Spirit. Okay? And so we pray in the Spirit Think of those together. To take up the sword of the Spirit, is this, which is the Word of God, is the same thing as praying in the Spirit, which is praying according to the Word of God, praying in complete harmony with the Word of God. Now, what does it mean to pray at all times? Praying at all times in the Spirit. Praying at all times in the Spirit. What does it mean to pray at all times? Well, first of all, I want you to notice that the word all is used four times in one verse. Praying at all times with all prayer. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So it's pretty encompassing. All means all. And what it means is it is living your life in constant God consciousness. It is living your life in constant God consciousness. You are potentially ready to pray to God anytime about anything. That's what it means to pray at all times. You are potentially ready to pray to God at any time about anything. We are to be so God conscious that we see everything in our life in reference to Him. At any point, on any given day, Something I see or something I think could trigger me to pray. Think about it. Prayer takes on all kinds of forms. And this is good for us to review together. Prayer takes on all kinds of forms. You can pray in public. You can pray in private. You can pray verbally. You can pray silently. You can pray with loud cries. You can pray with quiet whispers. You can pray deliberately and planned. You can pray spontaneously. You can pray with requests. You can pray with thanksgiving. You can pray with confessions and humiliation. You can pray with praise. 
You can pray kneeling. You can pray standing. You can pray walking. You can pray at church. You can pray at home. You can pray in your car. You can pray at your workplace. You can pray in the woods. You can pray wherever you may happen to be. I can pray at any time, night or day. And this is taught throughout the Bible, Old and New Testament. Let me give you some examples. I could give you lots. There are lots of examples, but let me just give you a few. These aren't going to be on the screen. So if you want to write, just jot down the references, you can. These are just examples. Psalm fifty-five, seventeen. I love Psalm fifty-five, seventeen. It says this, Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. I love that. Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. In Luke chapter 2, Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to the temple courts. They meet a prophetess named Anna. And this is what it says about Anna. She is a fascinating woman. It says she never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. The implication in this verse is she spent every day, night and day, praying and fasting. In Luke chapter 6 and verse 12, it says this of our Lord. It says, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night and spent the night praying to God. In Luke 5, verse 16, it says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray. In 1 Timothy 5, it instructs the church on how to care for widows in the church. If a widow has family members, those family members are to care for the widow in their own family. But if a widow does not have family members, if she is all alone, the church has a special obligation to take care of that widow. And this is what it says in 1 Timothy 5, 5. It says, the widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. Wow, she puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Well, our fifth point this morning is be alert and pray. The last sentence of verse 18 says, To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. That little phrase, keep alert, is really interesting. And it's key here. Keep alert literally means stay awake. Stay awake. It is the word picture of a soldier who has guard duty over his unit, over his compound, and he's the one who has to stay awake at night and make sure that he doesn't see any activity or ongoing danger from the enemy. In the ancient world, he was called the watchman. The watchman would always be on watch from a tower or from the ground. He would be always alert to the enemy. And that is what we are called to do. I am to be alert to what is going on in the battle. I must work hard not to become spiritually indifferent or spiritually distracted. The enemy is attacking. 
He's attacking with subtle temptations. He's attacking with dangerous deceptions. He's attacking at unexpected times, unexpected places. Christian soldiers are being wounded all around me. Churches are being divided. Marriages are being damaged. Fellow Christians are falling into sin. Christians are being mocked and belittled in our culture. And Paul calls us all to wake up. Wake up, Christian, and be alert. And he is saying to every Christian soldier, pray, pray, and pray. And then it says, making supplication for all the saints. A significant part of our prayer time is to be spent praying for others. Here's the beauty of the body of Christ. I am to spend a significant amount of time praying for others, and they are praying for me. I am praying for others, and they are praying for me. We are to see ourselves as a true body in Jesus. We are a team. We are a military unit. We are fellow soldiers fighting with one another or fighting together side by side as we are engaged in the battle. David Jeremiah in his work on the armor of God says this. The word translated saints in the Bible is always plural. It is never found in the singular. We are to pray for each other. We are not going into battle alone, but as part of God's army. And we are to uphold one another in prayer. How should we pray for others? And I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm about to say. Yes, you can pray for somebody's physical condition. It's okay to pray for somebody who needs a job, to pray for somebody who's looking for a house. All those things are okay. However, biblically, and I think this is clear, not even a point of contention or argument, we are primarily to pray for people spiritually. We tend not to do that, but we are primarily to pray for people spiritually and for their spiritual needs. About two years ago, maybe three years ago, I did an entire series on the prayers of the Apostle Paul. Some of you will remember that. If you trace through the epistles and look at the prayers of Paul, they are almost entirely focused on spiritual needs. If you want an example, just go to Ephesians chapter 1, the end of the chapter, and look at that great prayer of Paul in Ephesians chapter 1. We need to pray that God will help our fellow brothers and sisters to win the battle and to experience the victory that is theirs in Christ, to understand their identity in Christ and who they are in Christ. We should pray for each other that God would convict us every day to put on the whole armor of God. We should pray for their marriages. We should pray for their families. We should pray for their protection from temptation. We should pray for opportunities to witness and to have boldness in witnessing. Next week, as Pastor Chad mentioned, we're going to have our service in the park. Then when the next week will be September 8th, Sunday, September 8th, and I'll come back to our study in Ephesians, and we're going to look at Paul's very specific request to the believers at Ephesus, and he says, pray for my boldness. Pray that I will clearly communicate the gospel. 
he, after giving this instruction in verse 18, he then says, pray specifically for me that I will have boldness as a witness in Christ. We are naturally fearful and we need to pray for boldness for one another. We should pray for souls to be one to Christ. We should pray for the advancement of the gospel both locally and around the world. I want to end by reemphasizing the word desperation. As I said before, I think it is such a key word because of our sinful nature. Because of the attacks of the enemy, we tend to lack desperation. We get in our ruts and routines every day and we just go about life. And I so believe that God wants us to desperately call out to him, cry out to him, beg him, plead with him. That is found throughout both Testaments. Let me say again, we will not pray. We will not pray unless we see our desperate need for God and our desperate need to put on the armor of God every single day. The more you open your eyes to the reality of spiritual warfare, the more you will see your desperate need for prayer. Praying at all times in the spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Let's pray together. Father, help us to be a people of prayer. Help us to be a church of prayer. Help us to be families of prayer. Help us to be individuals of great prayer. Oh, Lord, today and every day, teach us. Father, teach us what it means to pray at all times in the Spirit. For we do ask these things as we always do. In Jesus' name, amen.